For those of us remaining together in the room, our scripture reading comes to us from the Gospel of Luke. It's the third of the four Gospels. Uh, It's again about three-fourths or seven-eighths of the way into your Bible, if you want to turn there. We'll be reading out of chapter 8, starting in verse 26. It's a great story from the life of Jesus. Let let us receive together the word of the Lord. They, which is Jesus and his disciples, sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house but had lived in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken His chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, What is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed And in his right mind. And they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them. Because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's bow and pray. Oh God, we do give you thanks for your word. For this story from Luke chapter 8. Uh, And I give you thanks for your sons and daughters gathered here today. We are your children, your people, uh, and we need you. We need you today and every day. And for this time of the proclamation of Scripture, a couple of requests. Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear. Holy Spirit, that you would speak straight to the heart, that that you would bind my tongue and my lips, that no false word might pass from them, but only the truth. Lord, you know what each and every one of us 
is coming in here with this morning, and therefore you know what we need. And so we ask that you would give it. Minister to us in the power of your word and Holy Spirit, that we might in turn minister to one another in the world around us. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> so, all throughout his ministry, Jesus encountered various types of needy people, and he met their needs, uh, all different types. He met poor people, and he met their needs by either providing for them or offering them hope in, in the promise of our Heavenly Father that he will provide the needs that his children have. Uh, he, he encountered sick people, and he met their needs by healing them. He, he encountered dead people, and he met their needs by breathing life back into their lungs. Jesus encountered people whose lives were just burdened down by the weight of guilt and shame from a past life, and he offered them the relief of forgiveness and absolution and a, and a hope for a new tomorrow. Jesus met those uh, who were in need because they had been believing lies and been following teachers of the law who were leading them astray. And he met their needs by offering them the healthy dose of the truth that they needed. And Jesus met those who were tormented and he met their needs by offering them relief and deliverance from their torment. And here's the thing about neediness. Not all neediness is created equal, right? A, a couple of months ago, I got pretty mad at Pastor Jason because he called me up and said, hey, bro, I need to switch sermons with you in October. Could we trade the 15th for the 22nd? And I was like, sure, I'm here both days, no problem, until I went into our worship planning doc and I saw what that meant I had given away and what that meant I had received in return. I was supposed to be the one who got to tell you, the people of God, go out and minister to the children. And I know children can be difficult, especially if you're a parent. It can be really challenging. But relatively speaking, I mean, they're cute, most of them, and they're funny, and they say the darndest things. Relatively speaking, ministering to children is lower on the, on the scale of, of the spectrum of neediness. Instead... Welcome to Tormented Sunday. Uh, welcome to church, everybody. Glad you're here. Um, and, and I'm happy to be here, all jokes aside. I'm happy to be here and get to teach this passage. But not all neediness is created equal. Uh, and not all torment is created equal either. Um, just so we're all working from a, a, a same baseline. A biblical definition of torment is a severe physical, mental and spiritual suffering. Severe physical, mental, and spiritual suffering. I'll give us an example um, of how not all neediness is created equal. The, the thing is that most of us, I think, non-tormented people, and I put that in air quotes, and, and I'll come back to that later at the end. Just, just put a pin in that on non-tormented. Most of us non-tormented people are made uncomfortable by those who are tormented and by their torment. 
I know there are some of you out there who you see a person who's clearly tormented and your heart is moved to go and engage that person and meet their needs, minister to them. You are being made perfect in love. You are the image of Christ in the world. God bless you. Most of us in the room, I think it's fair to say, are made uncomfortable by those who are tormented and the things that torment them. And here's the example. I think this example will catch most of us in the room. If you have a driver's license in a car or if you have been in a car old enough um, to, to be aware of what's going on. You know how sometimes when you're at the gas station pumping gas and you decide in a miraculous move of God to put down your phone and just look around at what's going on in the world around you. And you see other people pumping their gas, probably looking at their phones. And you see people walking to and from the convenience store, and maybe they bought a drink or some snacks. And there's this underlying idea um, that everyone in the parking lot, whether they're at a car pumping gas or going to and from the convenience store, belongs to one of the cars in the parking lot. You know what I mean? Everyone there belongs to one of the cars in the parking lot. If they're not pumping gas at their car where it's obvious, they're walking in sort of a determined fashion to or from their vehicle and the convenience store. But you know how sometimes, and this doesn't happen super often in this community, but in other parts of Houston it happens all day, every day. Sometimes you'll be pumping your gas and you look around and you notice that there's someone in the parking lot who does not belong to one of the cars in the parking lot. And this is kind of uncomfortable for me to confess. When I see a person like that, my gut reaction is to look away really quick and hope that they didn't recognize that I recognize them. Am I alone in that? And the reason we do that is because tormented people and the things that torment them make us uncomfortable. And it could be a variety of things. I mean, they, usually that encounter leads to someone asking you for money. Sometimes it involves them telling you a really sad story from their life. And there's a variety of reasons we might be uncomfortable. We might be uncomfortable because we don't want to give them money. Or we don't want to tell them, no, I'm not going to give you any money. Or Maybe we're uncomfortable because we assume maybe this person is, is on drugs or, or drunk or something, and we don't want to interact with that because it's going to be awkward and uncomfortable. Maybe we're uncomfortable and we don't want to have this encounter because we've got somewhere to get to, and we know that this encounter is going to make us late, and that's uncomfortable for us. Not all neediness is created equal. And I love this passage of Scripture in Luke chapter 8, although less so this week because I'm, I've been convicted by it. Um, but I love this passage of Scripture. It's one of my favorite stories from the life of Jesus in the Gospels because it's just kind of wild. It's a wild encounter. I mean, there's, there's a, a man who seems to have superhuman strength. He's breaking chains with his body. He, he is living in a graveyard. He's possessed by a legion of demons. It's straight out of a movie. And there's that whole thing with the pigs. And like the demons are like, Jesus, can we go into the pigs? And Jesus is like... Sure, I can't eat them anyway, so go ahead. And 
it's just weird. I, I love the story, but I like it better when I picture Jesus and the disciples in the story. I like it a lot less when I picture me being in the story. Because not all neediness is created equal, and I confess to you that I am someone who is made uncomfortable by the torment of others. And even within torment as a category, there is a spectrum, just like not all neediness is created equal, not all torment is created equal. And and I love this passage because it shows maybe the most extreme and severe case of torment that I could imagine. And Jesus enters in and does so remarkably. And we're going through this series right now, first love. It's the first thing that we are supposed to do when we meet somebody new. And we're going through it for two reasons. One is that in exploring the various types of needy people that Jesus ministers to, we might, as needy people, discover that Jesus can meet our own needs. The second reason we're going through it is because we might learn from the example of Jesus how to, as followers of Jesus, love God and love neighbor. And Jesus gives us many different examples. Each week we're looking at a different example, a different model that we can mimic of how Jesus loves, first loves a different category of neighbor that we might encounter. And today is Torment Sunday. This passage is wonderful um, because it shows how Jesus enters in with this poor, poor man. And I said this is maybe the most extreme and severe case of torment I could think of. Let's jump in and see what's going on with this man. In verse 27, it says, When Jesus stepped ashore, and, and Jesus and his disciples have just sailed across the Sea of Galilee from the Jewish side to the Gentile side, and he steps off the boat with his disciples, and he was immediately met by a demon possessed man from the town. And right off the bat, we learn two things about this man. First, he is possessed by a demon. Second, he's from the town. But he's not in the town. What does that tell us about this man, that he's from the town? It tells us that he hasn't always been this way. He hasn't always been this tormented person that we see before us here in Luke chapter 8. He's from the town. He has a past. He has reasons why he is the way that he is when Jesus encounters him. Continues on. uh, For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And, And there's a little phrase that opens up this verse that we might skip over because of the shock value of the next two phrases in the verse, which are that he hasn't worn clothes and he hasn't lived in a house, but he's lived among the tombs. And that little phrase is so heartbreaking. For a long time. This man who, he's from the town, he he hasn't always been this way for a long time. He's been tormented. He's been living naked. 
homeless, without shelter, his only companions, the carcasses of the graveyard where he makes his residence. And we learn one more thing about him in verse 29. That even when he had been in the town, I imagine this is at the end of his time in the town, he was alone. It says that many times this demon or demons would seize him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains. So even when he was in the town, at the end of his time there in the town, he, he wasn't in community. The community chained him up because they didn't know what to do with him, frankly. They were uncomfortable, and it is uncomfortable. But he would break his chains. The demon would come over him, give him this strength to break his chains. And it says at the end of verse 29 that he had been driven by the demon into solitary places. And that Greek word for solitary, eremos, can also be translated lonely places. Perhaps the worst of this man's tormented condition is in that that he had been living for a long time, lonely. There have been a lot of studies recently on the impacts of, uh, of solitary confinement as, as a mechanism of punishment in the prison system. And this isn't a... I discovered this week that there's a lot of debate about whether this is an ethical mechanism for punishment or not. And this isn't a political statement on, in favor or against, because honestly, I just haven't learned enough about it to, to have an opinion, but I can give you the facts about the impact of solitary confinement from some of these studies. Uh, this is from Dr. Albert Biderman, who's an expert on sensory deprivation. He said that the effect of isolation on the brain function of the prisoner is much like that which occurs if he is beaten, starved, or deprived of sleep. Loneliness impacts the brain similar to being beaten, starved, or deprived of sleep. Uh, Dr. Craig Haney at the University of California in another study listed some of the negative psychological effects of solitary confinement and said that these effects included but weren't limited to hypertension, uncontrollable anger, hallucinations, emotional breakdowns, chronic breakdowns, your loneliness can make you sick in your body, and suicidal thoughts and behavior, and also discovered that these symptoms can begin within as little as 48 hours on a prisoner. This man, as if it wasn't enough to be tormented by this demon, was tormented by loneliness. And, and here's the thing, brothers and sisters, our torment drives us out of community. In a severe and extreme case, we've already talked about how this happens because these people and their, their situations make us uncomfortable, and so we kind of disengage from them. But, but even at a lesser degree, if our torment is, is maybe guilt or shame, even at a, a, a minuscule level, it can drive us out of community. It can cause us to, to hide ourselves, who we really are, because we're worried about what people might think if they knew the real us. Torment drives us out of community, into loneliness, into isolation. And so we're going to enter in to, to take sort of a master class, if you will, from Jesus of how to minister to 
tormented people. And by the way, not every tormented person, this isn't a message that says, okay, go out and and start casting demons out because that's the end of what Jesus did. Sometimes your torment is just you have a, a past that is choices have led you to this place of suffering, of pain. It could be guilt, it could be shame, it could be addiction. Demons are a real thing, and sometimes that is what it's called for, to, to cast demons out, to, to say, evil, you have no right to be here. And that's a conversation we can have another time, but this is just a, a case study in how Jesus enters in with this tormented man, not specific to the fact that part of his torment was demonic oppression. So the first thing Jesus did, step one, is in the very beginning in verse 27. It says, when Jesus stepped ashore... He was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Did you hear step one of what Jesus did? When he stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Friends, step one of how we can minister to, how we can first love tormented people in our communities is we can allow ourselves to be met by them. How many times have we been at the gas station and we see that person coming and and our instinct is I'm looking away, I don't want to engage, I don't want to be met by them and maybe I'll just cut off my gas flow early. I've got enough to get where I'm going and I'll get more later. Or, or maybe you're driving along the, the side of the highway on the access road and you're about to turn under the underpass and there's a, a person who's clearly tormented on the street corner and we just try not to make eye contact because we don't want them to ask us for something or, or we're just uncomfortable by their situation. What would it be like if we just allowed ourselves to be met by that person? to just make eye contact and maybe offer a compassionate smile. Or, or in the gas station parking lot example, to, to allow ourselves to be met by that person. You don't have to give them money necessarily. Uh, what would it be to be like Peter and John, who when they entered into the temple and the beggar was asking them, begging them for money, they said, silver and gold I don't have for you, but what I do have, I give unto you. And they offered the gospel love of Jesus Christ to this tormented person. And it leads us into the second thing that Jesus did. After he allowed himself to be met by the demon-possessed man, Jesus engaged with him like a real person. And we hear that Jesus had tried, this is an interesting fact, he had tried to cast out this demon and it hadn't worked initially. The demons are kind of bartering with Jesus and interacting with him, saying, please don't torture us. What do you want with us? Don't send us into the abyss. Because Jesus had commanded, verse 29, had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. And then Jesus says, okay, I guess I'll take a different tact. And in verse 30, he engages with the man like a real human being. He asked him, what is your name? Such a simple question. But there's, there's a nuance to it that signifies engaging with someone like a real person. And it's different than saying, hey, how are you? Because when you say, hey, how are you? You can do that in passing. Good, how are you? Good, bye. And the, the meeting's over. But when you say, what is your name? 
you're engaging with them. You're opening up an opportunity for knowing, for relationship. Hi, my name is Zach. What's your name? And in so doing, in engaging with him like a real person, Jesus enables himself to get a more full understanding of this man's plight. Because the man can't even respond for himself. It's not the man who says what his name is, but it's the demons inside of him that respond with the name Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into them. This man, Jesus now learns, is so tormented by his life circumstances that he's completely lost his identity. What is your name? The man can't even say his own name. The demons have so overcome him and, and over-dominated his living situation, his life, his body, that his very own lips utter the words of the demons. Legion, for we are many, one of the other gospel writers records. Jesus engaged with him as a real person. And finally, what Jesus does is he heals him. He meets his needs, both spiritual, mental, and physical. We see, the next time we see this man in verse 35, after Jesus had healed him, the people come to see what had happened. And when they come to Jesus, they find the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Before this man met Jesus, he was alone. Now he sits at the feet of Jesus. Before this man met Jesus, he was naked. Now he sits clothed. Where did those clothes come from? Jesus gave it to him. Before this man met Jesus, he was out of his mind. He couldn't even speak his own name, and now he's sitting in his right mind, dressed at the feet of Jesus. Jesus allowed himself to be met by this man. He engaged with him like a real person, and he met his needs, mental, physical, and spiritual. But there's one thing, brothers and sisters, that we can do a little bit better than Jesus. And you don't have to worry if I'm a heretic because I said that. Jesus said to his disciples, greater things than what you've seen me do, you will do after I leave you. And I've always wrestled with that and, and wondered how my life stacks up to that word from Jesus. But I think we may have stumbled upon one way. There's something you can do a little bit better than Jesus in ministering to a tormented person. I'm going to share with you one of my own torments and how I've been met in that space. And a lot of you know about it already, but there's one detail to the story that you don't know that I'm going to share with you this morning. And it's pretty act of God that I get to share this after something that Jason shared from his life last week. Um, on May 14th, 2018, most of you know, my closest sister in age... Marissa died at 22 years old. And thus began the most tormented years of my life. Tormented by grief. My faith was tormented. I began to question not God's power to do good things for me, but his desire. A sense of loss that can't be put into words. Um, feeling the need to perform as the hero for my family. 
um, the most tormented years of my life. And after that happened, um, I was not a pastor here yet, but I was a member here, and I was serving on the worship team. And, and Jason and Alyssa told me to take a few weeks to not come and just be a mess at home and do what I needed to do. And so I, I took them up on that. I took a few weeks to be a mess at home. And then I decided after maybe two Sundays of being a mess at home that I was ready to come be a mess at church. And uh, I came in and I sat down. And God, in his goodness, allowed for me to sit that day next to Jill and Andy LeBlanc. And if you were here last week, you heard Pastor Jason share a story of how Jill and Andy LeBlanc also said goodbye to a beloved girl in their family, Molly May, their four-year-old daughter. And Molly May died May 6, 2017. Marissa died May 14, 2018, one year later. And uh, it wasn't right away, but by the time the song So Will I by Hillsong was played by the band, the, the torment of grief broke the dam of my emotions. And I began to weep and shake my shoulders. My whole body was convalescing. And uh, Jill and Andy LeBlanc gave me a hug right there in worship. There is no hug more meaningful for a tormented person than the hug of someone who has been tormented in the same way as you have. C.W. Brister, in, in his book on church care and how the church cares for itself and for the community around, calls the people of God wounded healers. Wounded healers. Friends, we are tormented people. And our torment doesn't all look the same, but in every pew, every seat in this church, there's a story that will break your heart. And when we minister to tormented people in the community, we can follow the example of Jesus. We can allow ourselves to be met by those who are tormented instead of turning away in discomfort. We can engage with them like a real human being, and we can offer them the healing love of Jesus Christ and meet their physical needs as we're able. But one thing we can do a little bit better than Jesus is we can ask ourselves, how have I been tormented how can I be a wounded healer? What unique hug do I have to offer someone else who is uniquely in need? And as you go, I'm going to close by sending you off with this. As you go, you can firmly believe that whatever torment you or the people you encounter are facing is no match for the power and love 
of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Lord God. How we need you on Torment Sunday. There are so many needs in this community and in our very own lives that leave us just questioning everything, maybe. And for those in the room who struggle to believe this right now, either at the prospect of their own torment or the prospect of meeting the needs of the tormented out in the world, because it's not a given that we can believe this, will you help our hearts believe that there is no torment that can stand against the power and love of Jesus? God, will you help us to be wounded healers? Healing because we have been healed, or at least have begun to heal. Help us to carry your love into the world. Give us courage to allow ourselves to be met by tormented people. Give us courage and the willingness to sacrifice time or comfort or resources to engage with them like real people and give us faith in your power to meet their needs. Silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I give unto you. Father, as we continue now into this time of offering, I have two requests. I pray that you would bless the gifts, that they would be multiplied and used to bear incredible fruit in Creekside as it is in heaven. And I pray for the givers, that you would bless them with the freedom that comes from giving things away. We love you, O oh God. We thank you.